How are we doing, everybody? Welcome back to the Sean Atwood channel. And tonight we have got a very, very special guest on this spooky, spooky evening. Uh, Tony Merkel uh, is going to be taking us through the fascinating topic of skinwalkers, the skinwalker ranch. And we're going to be diving into his uh, current documentary and really hearing him expand on some moments that uh, took me back, but just just with the content, because these are these seem like rational thinking gentlemen in this documentary, and some of the things they're seeing are not explainable. My grandfather, too, you tell the same story in that same area. There was a horse, like a horseman. So there definitely is that that creature out there. So they say these things can turn into wolves. They turn into Right. You know, different creatures, cougars, whatever. Right. My name is Tony Merkel, host of the Confessionals podcast. I've interviewed over 500 witnesses to the strange and unexplained. Last year, I assembled a team of like-minded guys to come with me on a quest to document and even possibly experience some of these mysterious phenomena for ourselves. We started getting lights out here over the ridge. Here they come again. Here they come again. Yeah. That gray container was right here. Correct. Look left, look left. Yeah. Up, up there? They'll come from the west. Now it's in the sky. So it's old news. It's old news, yeah. This kind of stuff is connected in some way. What if those guys, whoever was, that was a decoy? God created everything, including these UFOs, including all those phenomena. God created it all. So that's what you've got to look forward to tonight. And of course, we have Jane, we have the wonderful Victoria here, and it's going to be a fun evening. But before we get started, before we jump into all this, Tony, thank you very, very much for uh, coming and joining us and being here this evening. Um, your, your knowledge on this subject matter is vast. Let's, let's, I mean, you're, you're kind of a, an expert, right? Uh, I, I hate when people call me an expert. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> You're, you're being branded by the media in that way, okay? It's being imposed upon you. I know, I know. It, it makes me nervous. <laughs> well, listen, before we, before we jump into all that, Jen, Victoria, how are you both doing? Let's start with Jen. How's, how's you? How's baby Ziggy? Give us a quick update. Let us he know. is fabulous. So we've just had the health visitor in, and he is 18 pounds at eight weeks. Ooh, Chunky so, boy. That's what we like. Yeah. That's yeah. all we like. So, he's in a <laughs> six to nine month old clothes already. So the little cute Halloween costume that I bought him. Yeah. <laughs> tiny, so, too tiny. Yeah. No, so I bought a huge pumpkin that I'm carving out on Friday. And I'm going to do one of those ridiculously um, stupid posts on Instagram of him in a pumpkin. There we go. Happy Hell Halloween, yeah. everyone. Hell yeah. That <laughs> sounds adorable. Solid. It sounds adorable. And and Victoria, now that we've 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 got past Operation Mad Headphones, we are we have got the black <laughs> headphones on. We're feeling yeah. the vibe. How are you? How's it been? Fully, fully locked and loaded. Let's locked go. Locked and loaded, ready to go. <laughs> uh, how how have you been anyway? How's how's yeah, how's good, you know, working hard, two children to look after. Difficult. The choice. <laughs> All right. All right, before 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 we go, but just before we sort of diverge too far, let's dive into this, Tony. Okay, let's start let's start at the beginning. All right, before you'd even done interview one. Okay, you're Tony Merkel. You're living your yeah. life. You've not gone down this road yet. 
what was the catalyst for you? What was it that pushed you into this undesired expertise in the world <laughs> of Walker? Tell us how, how that first day we, we sort of started your mission went. Yeah, I, I actually uh, had none of this was on my radar back in 2016. Uh, I started the Confessionals podcast in 2017 in January, and uh, the show was to interview people on their paranormal experiences. And uh, we, I've always been interested in the paranormal type uh, shows like on TV and stuff. And the most fascinating part about those shows were when they sat down with the person who actually went through the experience and you get to hear snippets of what they have to say about what they went through. And then it's only like 10, 15, 20% of the production of the entire episode where they actually feature the person that went through the stuff. And so uh, I was like, let me talk to that person. I'm not really interested in the theatrics and you know, even the, the the investigative part of these TV shows, I really wasn't that interested in it because I figured, you know what, if they actually found Bigfoot, I'd hear about it before the TV show episode came on. So more than likely, they're not going to find anything. But what I wanted to do is talk to the people who actually went through this stuff because I had a sneaky suspicion that, you know, the little bit you hear in a TV show, there was a lot more to the story. And so that was kind of the uh, the mindset going into the podcast to feature people, their experiences, anything and everything. So I mean, I, I was I was willing to take anything on. I didn't have experiences a whole lot. I didn't have experiences talking to people about the stuff. I figured it was going to be a learning experience for me, the audience, and everybody in between. So uh, that's how we kind of set out with the whole show. It was just experiential based, and it kind of took a lot of steam. I mean, it, it really did. It picked up a lot of steam pretty quickly. Uh, my first year uh, podcasting, I didn't have any kids. And so it was just me and my wife and I just worked it like a job all like I, I was a tractor trailer driver. I drove truck for a living. And then when I got home at night, I worked on the podcast. And for the first year without kids, I just did it like a job and uh, kept on growing the growing the platform. And here we are seven, almost seven years later. And uh, it's what I do for a living now. Podcasting, filmmaking, movie making, all of it. Just it's it's fascinating because it, 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 you so basically you passively fell into this. It was a broad spectrum of interest in the people who had experienced these things, yeah. and just just before I, before I dominate this too much and start getting texts from Jen, right? Like, <laughs> what was it that drew like pulled you in to the Skinwalker Ranch? Was it the sheer? Because obviously, as a journalist, you're covering one topic that's a broad topic. And then you've dialed in. Was it just the sheer volume and the location and almost like the gold mine of what this place is that drew you to that? Or was there something more personal involved? No, nothing personal. It was is really a lot of that. It was the fact that there was everything and anything happening out there. I found out that it wasn't just the the Skinwalker Ranch. It was the entire Uinta Basin. Uh, the whole area has this stuff happening. And so when I decided to go out there, I wanted to kind of approach it in that manner where I wanted to talk to the locals, a lot of Native Americans, and talk to them about their perspective and what their history has been with the topics at hand. Uh, it, a lot of this Skinwalker Ranch stuff has been uh, blowing up a lot in the last few years because of the TV show. And it gives you a very centralized location of, you know, here's a ranch. And there's a lot of weird things happening there. And that's true. There's a lot of weird things happening there. 
but it's not just the ranch. And I think that's a, a very common misperception is that Skinwalker Ranch is the place to go. There's nothing else going on the outside of it. And the fact is, the whole area is wild and has just anything and everything. I mean, tons of Bigfoot activity, tons of upright walking dog, dogman activity, um, witchcraft, UFOs, portals opening up, the ground opening up and closing, uh, weird anomalies like lightning bolt strikes on, on pieces of property that um, it, on a bright, sunny day. Uh, it, it just, it, you know, even, you know, things moving on properties that are thousands of pounds and nobody has an idea of how it even got moved. Uh, there's there. I, I say that there's a lot of things going on underneath the ground, but on the ground and above the ground. It's just everything. It, it's 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 a pretty wild place. And it's been it's been studied by people who are just way smarter than me. And they just uh, they've really uncovered just a lot of weird things happening in the area. But the funny thing is, as far as science goes, we still don't have an answer. You know, the best answer we have is from the natives, which is this idea of skinwalkers, black magic, uh, dark entities. Uh, th that's the best explanation I've come across, because a lot of times the scientists come in and they're trying to measure things here and there. And they're, they're not they get the measurements. They're like, oh, yeah, this is weird. But it's like, why? Well, we don't know. And so um, I think that they're. A lot of people have been talking in the last few years about how um, the paranormal will eventually become science of tomorrow. And uh, that, that I think we might be kind of on the doorstep of. And maybe that's why science hasn't been able to nail down these phenomena uh, because it's just it hasn't caught up. And so they, they say things like, you know, magic today is science tomorrow. And maybe we're knocking on that door now. Uh, we'll, we'll find out. Definitely. And I think my first question, and Sean actually uh, came to me with this while we were watching your documentary he wanted me to ask you how involved the cia is with this hey <laughs> <laughs> um i uh i don't know <laughs> I, um, man you make me nervous um so i i so if you watch the documentary you see that we we were in the middle of a, a car chase and uh I, I don't know what caused us to, to do it in the moment. It, it was one of those things where you're just not thinking and we're, you know, 1500 miles away from our families, our wives, and there's nobody to tell us no. And we're just a bunch of guys and we're like, okay, let's go and do this. And, uh, and the story with that is, um, so we had a, a guy in the back seat of my vehicle. Uh, his name is Joel. He's a friend of mine. He does these films with me. In fact, we're actually going out next week to shoot another film. And he's coming along for that, too. He's like my he's he's my guy that basically if I need somebody to do something dangerous, he goes. His kids are grown. He's fine. Um, so we we're driving back from a store. It was late at night. It was dark out. And the, the thing that really kind of it's Joel. It's just the way Joel is with this stuff. He can be either extremely excited or he in, in some situations where you think he'd be really excited, like even in almost maybe even a paranoid way, he's so calm and relaxed. And this was that side of Joel for this whole thing. We're driving back and we come up to the property we're staying on. Now we're staying on a property called Space Wolf Research, which actually borders the property of Skinwalker Ranch. They literally share a fence line. And so we're right there. And we were out there the whole week. And this was the last night we were going to be there. And uh, we turn into the property. 
And as I go past the caretaker's house, Joel, and, and, and the only way Joel can, in the most calm way, he just goes, hey, uh, Tony, can, can you uh, stop the vehicle for me? And I'm just like, all right. So I stopped the car and uh, he gets out and he just stands with there with his hand on his hip facing the road that we turned off of with just staring. And I'm like, what is he doing? And so he gets back in the in the vehicle and uh, I, I, I said, what's going on? And he goes, uh, yeah, we, we were driving down the road and I saw a vehicle with no headlights on pull out behind us. And then they turned on the headlights and they followed us all the way back here. When we turned in the driveway, they just stopped and idled at the end of the road and uh, stared at us. And I'm just like, hey, buddy, speak up anytime before oh. now. <laughs> like, like, I mean, that's some that I mean, we could have had the camera rolling anything, bro. And so um, I don't know who made the decision, but I think it was a group decision that happened in like less than a second. We decided we were going to turn my vehicle around and we were going to chase after this truck. And uh, that's what we did now out in Utah. It's a lot of dirt roads, a lot of side roads. There's not a lot of highways and very uh, well-paved roads. And so we start flying down this road, and I have five guys in my vehicle, and I'm going about 70 miles an hour. I don't know what that would be uh, for you guys, but it was, it's pretty fast for a dirt road. And uh, this vehicle that was in front of us was just dusting us. I mean, it was at least going 20 more than we were. And um, in that process we had two other vehicles pull out behind us and when those two other vehicles pulled out behind us they were keeping up right on us now uh, logically speaking you know maybe they're locals they're very used to the roads around there and they're just driving fast uh to us it felt like they were kind of following us and so we get up to this main road that was um, a lot of heavy traffic and this car had already turned on the main road. They were gone. I, I kind of gave up on the idea of even trying to catch them. And what was I going to do if I did catch them? You know, like, <laughs> like I have no idea. Um, but it, it made good for a film. But uh, in that process of getting up to that road, one of the other vehicles turned off and they were gone. The other vehicle came up behind us and then went around us. And it was an off-road vehicle. It was a side-by-side -side vehicle that was just meant for trails and stuff. And so that I, it struck me as odd. Uh, we turn around, we start heading back. And when we start heading back, our producer, Joseph, he was at the campsite. So he saw us pull in and then leave. So he calls us and he says, hey, where, where are you guys at? What's going on? And we told him what happened. He told us that he saw us come into the property, turn around and leave. And then after we left, another vehicle came into the property, came past the caretaker's house and started driving down the hill towards our campsite. And when he saw this, he took his flashlight out and flashed it at the, the vehicle. And that's when it stopped and turned around and left. Now, that is really weird. And I don't know how, in fact, I don't think there's any way possible, at least without technology involved, that the car that we were chasing after was planning on having us chase after them so that they could have somebody else come into the camp when we were gone. Uh, but maybe that person called somebody else and said, hey, they're following me. Why don't you go into the camp? What were they trying to do there? I don't know. I mean, we did up to that point, we had gotten a lot of footage that week of different weird things happening on the property we were on. And uh, I don't know if somebody was trying to just figure out what we were trying to do, if they're going to take our computers and hard drives. I, I have no idea. But if if Joseph wasn't there and flashed his hot head or his uh, flashlight at them, I'm pretty convinced whoever that was would have came in and done something to our camp. And so uh, it was at the CIA. I, I don't know. I, 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 
I'd like to think that I'm not important enough for that. You know, uh, I'm just, I'm just, I always say on my show, I'm just a stupid podcaster. Don't listen to me. Like, and I, I, I say You're that because, it down. I really like, so there, there's things that there's things that Sean talks about. I, I mean, I've listened to Sean since I was a truck driver and, um, it's been years. And I, I remember, you know, hearing him talk about CIA, the Clintons and stuff. Mm -hmm. I, I have like, I have some serious information and things that I'm working on along, along lines of conspiratorial things. Uh, but one, I'm scared to, to really do something with it. And two, I do use the paranormal as like a cover of, Hey, I'm just a stupid Bigfoot guy over here. You just don't, just don't even look at me. You know, like I, I'm just this guy that you, I just talk about things that aren't true guys. Don't even look at me, you know? So I try to, I try to believe that that is working and that the CIA or whoever it was <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't bother me. Uh, but is it possible? I, I suppose, I mean, but it could be that it was the people on the ranch. Maybe the people on the ranch found out we were there and they didn't like it. I don't think that's the case because I don't think they really cared that much. I think Brandon, uh, the owner of the property, I think he has his own thing going on. He's a billionaire. He doesn't need to worry about Merkel media coming out and filming on a property next door. I mean, it's just not really in the cards. Uh, could have been the locals, like maybe some natives that didn't like the fact we were there. I mean, in the native, native community, they don't really... It depends on who you're talking to, but some of them really don't like talking about this stuff. They don't even like saying the name Skinwalker. And so if word got around, which I know word got around, we were there because we weren't quiet about it. We, we were going into local shops and talking to people and letting them know what we were doing. Is it possible that some locals found out and they wanted to come and do something? I don't know. Uh, but the reality is that we did go through that situation and there's a lot more questions and answers to it. So it wasn't the supernatural who that doing this car chase, just in case, just covering that one. No, no, not that. I mean, maybe it's a ghost car. I don't know, but I mean, we couldn't keep up with it. <laughs> we really couldn't keep up with it. I, I can't Am imagine I right? the locals being that bothered by it. So I, that's why, obviously, Sean automatically pointed to CIA as he yes. does. With <laughs> CIA is a great one. Another one is with this ranch, you were completely de-armed, right? This was when you had to, there's no guns allowed or anything like this. Yeah, so if you bring someone on your ranch and you de-arm them, it's very good for business to have you go away and say you were potentially chased by the CIA. And in America, if you're going to do that in a staged way, you're going to want to make sure they're unarmed. If you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> so it could have been something put in place that they do to documentary filmmakers to make sure another documentary film crew comes back because it just it just makes the whole deal so much juicier. Did you sure. see what I mean? Uh, no, but yeah, it, was, I, it was definitely a three-lettered group. I'm just trying to give you yeah. some sleeping at night. Just, I'm trying to yeah, we'll no. blame, blame, blame the wolf people, okay? We'll blame them and not the three-letter gang. That's way easier for you to sleep at night. Yeah. Do, I, do I, you I, so feel... the... Go ahead. Go. No, I was going to ask you, do you feel like Utah is kind of protected in a way? Because there's a lot of history there um, with the Native Americans. And I was thinking, you know, what what's kind of the, the backstory to Utah, if no one knows like the history of it? Um, and the, is there a burial site on the on the grounds as well? Yeah. So uh, as far as Utah goes and why it would be special, uh, there's a lot of rural desert uh if you want if you were if you were a government that wanted to do things and test things it would be it's a great place to do it it is a great place to do it uh as far as the history goes uh there you you said the way you said it was a burial site 
there is no a burial site out there <laughs> the the whole area we were we were at is a burial site it, wow. it's an ancient site that they buried their dead at um that was what, what was told to me by one of the natives that live on the re reservation uh it wasn't it's not a place where you could go and be like oh and this section over here is our graveyard it's like nope this whole area is the graveyard they would bury people in the hills they would bury people down in this valley everywhere and so um that that's one of the things the points of contention with the locals and what's going on there today uh for instance the one guy johnny in the film he's not happy that there is drilling oil drilling going on all over the place out there uh it was passed by the the uh i don't know who would be like some kind of council or something on the reservation they allowed it i mean they had to agree to it but he suggested that they do some kind of maybe prayer ritual before a drill starts drilling to basically ask for forgiveness to their ancestors for what they're about to do because the idea is that you're disturbing the ground and the things that are in the ground are going to come up and so that's one of the things that people point to as is that a source of the paranormal activity um i i, I think that the, the paranormal activity has been going on a lot longer than the oil drilling but I know that they told us several times while we were out there, don't disturb the ground, do not dig, don't do anything, just let the ground alone. So we we tend not to dig while we are out there. Uh, but yeah, the whole area is a burial site and that obviously can lead to a lot of the, uh, the paranormal lore that happens out there. Um, and you know, in the, even in the film, you could see several times the oil drill that was going on. I mean, we could hear it humming all night long while we slept. We were that close to it. And uh, there was several across the street. Um, so if if the oil drilling and the disturbing of the ground has anything to do with the paranormal activity, it would make sense why the entire area is having the activity at, and spiking right now. Uh, people, it, the people across the street from the property we were on, uh, they lived there. And uh, I think it was like a week or two before we even got out there, they had said to uh, Joseph and Christian, because Joseph and Christian got there a day before me and the team did, the good producer, he shows up early. And um, he, it, they are the ones that actually performed that interview. They got those people on camera and stuff. And um, they, I believe, said that shortly before we arrived, they saw an upright walking dog going through the property that we were staying on. And uh, so like, there's that and then also a few weeks before we got there one of these big giant metal containers moved on the property uh mysteriously and so uh is that ha does it have anything to do with the the digging i'm not sure but uh i know what the natives say and they, they say they say that yeah i mean that drums up paranormal activity for sure i don't think you mentioned in the documentary how old the burial site is you... very old i i'm not sure how old it is i'm not even sure if they know how old it is i mean it, it, it's they've been there for such a long time uh i i assume i just come to the assumption that it's hundreds of years old at least i i, I would say at least two to three hundred years old it probably predates the 1776 so and, yeah. and another thing that fascinated me was the underground caverns that were mentioned right why did you not go explore them well we don't know where they're at you know, I, 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 I don't know where they're at. Trust me, if we know where they're at, we're going. Um, you got to go we, back now, part two. Oh, we will. <laughs> we will at some point. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's so much left to explore out there. Um, somebody, it, when we first started this, mentioned about how we approach it. And, and, and we really try to come appro approach it in a very uh, logical sense where it's just 
um we we don't really we're not interested in fabricating things um we believe that people have majority majority of people have paranormal experiences because they weren't looking for it it just happened to them and so when you have areas that people have a lot of paranormal activity like uh, skinwalker ranch area the uinta basin when that area is so rich with activity we believe that just by putting ourselves in that environment for a consistent period of time where we're very aware of why we're there it's not like we're just living there and we have to go to work in the morning we're there to experience the environment that that area has to offer um we believe that things could happen uh we're not really looking to you know do ouija boards and things like that it's not really what our cup of tea is uh, when it comes to our faith and everything um but we just feel like we, we're just going to exist in the environment and see how it happens and if nothing happens nothing happens i mean uh our first film was called Expedition Dogman, where we hunted this upright walking dog in Kentucky in the Daniel DeBoon National Forest. And um, that whole week, we had some things happen, but nothing, like we didn't get a sighting. Uh, we we did have some weird things happen though, but we didn't get it caught on on camera. And so the, the, the film was us documenting the journey and how it unfolded for us. And that's the approach that we take. So we're not promising people that we're gonna have our, our arms bitten off by a Bigfoot or anything like that. We're just, we're just going out there and doing what a lot of people interested in these topics wish they could do, want to do, but they don't have time. Uh, we're fortunate to be in a position where this is what we do. And so we just go out there and try to bring the environment to people on the screen so they can kind of live vicariously through us, for sure. Now, I've done uh, a fair bit of paranormal investigation, Tony, right? And I just want to go back to that shipping container, okay? Because that was kind of mind-blowing. Okay, unless they got a crane in that made no tracks, unless they got a hover crane to lift that off the ground, yeah. can we just spend five minutes as, as rational human beings and try and figure that out? You, you you did point out moments where it skiffed stones, yeah. right? And then there was the, the pointing out of the fact that none of the grass was knackered, which is, again, mind-blowing. So how did you process that, first of all? Because... Clearly, one of the hardest places to do something like lift a shipping container and move it overnight would be the desert because of the sheer destruction of transportation and all the rest. That, and again, when people talk about paranormal events, they look, they, they always go to the movies, right? Where yeah. there's this Hollywood theatrics and all the rest, the rest of it. A shipping container moving is mind blowing, people. Okay. Yeah. So just, just take us through how you process that because. How did you rationalize it to yourself? Or are you just at a stage now where you're just like, that's the ranch, baby. Just, you know what I mean? No, I mean, that, that is kind of my attitude with a lot of this stuff. I mean, things don't really catch me off guard anymore because uh, I'm like, I've thought, so uh, just today I came out with episode 593 of my podcast where I've talked to somebody about something, whether it's somebody like today's episode was a pastor talking about demonic things. Uh, but a lot of like I'd say 90 percent of my show has been people's experiences. And when you talk to so many people, uh, it's hard to catch me off guard with a lot of stuff. Uh, when it comes to the container moving, I'm glad you kind of brought that up because I, I feel like sometimes when I talk about this with people on their shows, it kind of just goes in one ear and out the other as far as interest goes. And I understand that, you know, everybody has their own cup of tea. And people want to talk about the monsters and the skinwalkers and the black magic, all that stuff. But this container is fascinating to me. And I, maybe it's because I come from the truck driving industry. Uh, maybe maybe that's why, because I understand logistically 
what it would take to get a truck in there with that kind of machinery. Uh, there's no the, the 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 caretaker. His home is right by the only entrance to that property. And he if a truck got on that property, um, he would have heard it because as a former truck driver, seeing the way that road was and how narrow the entrance gate was, you can get a truck in there, but you're not going to pull it in there in one motion and just drive back. You're going to have to pull up past the gate and start backing it in. And you're not going to back it in in one shot because it, it, it's it's too narrow. So you're going to wiggle it in. So you're going to be pulling forward, going back. Every time you're going back and hitting your brakes, you're going to hear the air brakes just going crazy. A lot of these newer trucks have uh, reverse beeping on it that you're going to hear. It's extremely loud for a reason so that anybody in the area knows you're backing up and they don't get run over. There's so many safety things with these trucks that uh, it, it's not going to happen very fast. I, I, I would say... I haven't driven a tractor trailer in three years, but when I was driving truck, I, I think that spot itself probably would have taken me at least three to five minutes just to back in to that through that gate to then go past that house. And that, I'm telling you, the house is not large. It is not soundproof. This is a this is a small little house. Uh, it's nothing special. He would have heard a diesel truck going by the house. And so on top of that, Joseph, he actually called different companies and heavy machinery operators to see if anybody rented out equipment for that purpose, and nobody had. And so we we did our as much as we could due diligence as to you know figuring out how this actually happened. Um, but even if there was a machinery back there that could have lifted this container, and just so people understand, this container it's not like a a, a tote, like a three thousand gallon tote. Uh, this is a large metal container that comes off of shipping ships, and uh, it's what you would see in a shipping yard. It's about 40 feet long, probably empty, weighs um, 10 tons. I mean, it's thick, heavy metal all the way around, uh, so it's extremely heavy. Well, if you get a, a crane back there to move this, uh, and you're trying to pull a prank on on the owner of the property and things like that. Let's just say that that's the case because there's no reason why the container was moved the way it was moved. Uh, you would do it more uh, quickly. You'd want to do it expeditiously, fast. Uh, so when you're lifting the con the container up, you're going to pull it up at least you know five six feet, move it to wherever you want to move it to, and then drop it. But in our case, this thing we we know this thing didn't lift very high because there's no drag marks, so we know it actually was lifted and moved. Uh, but there are a few drag marks on some rocks because underneath the container, there were some larger rocks that stuck up about four inches out of the ground. Uh, they they weren't touched enough to be moved out of the indentation of the ground that they were sitting in and pressed down into. But the container, you could see, scraped the top of the rocks as it was moving. So the container only lifted a few inches off the ground and just hovered and then moved on the property and it only moved i'd say about 15 20 feet away and then rotated about 90 degrees and so there, there's a lot of like um when you're trying to think of it logically there's not a whole lot of sense to be made with this uh now there was a guy that came out on the property while we were out there and we weren't expecting him his name's james keenan and he has done a lot of research on just the entire area. He's researching uh, anywhere from outside the property of Skinwalker Ranch to inside. And he has detected magnetic anomalies on the property we're staying at, at the very location that that uh, container lifted up and moved. 
Uh, and he theorized that there might have been some kind of magnetic pulse, which kind of goes to the underground military base idea. Uh, or maybe it's something natural. I don't know. I'm just a stupid podcaster. Don't look at me, CIA. Uh, but <laughs> like it, it kind of pushes the idea that he theorizes that maybe there's a pulse that kind of just pushed and, and, and popped it up. Yeah. Now, what's interesting is um, I, I, I don't really watch a whole lot of TV, TV shows. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a fairly busy guy, so I don't really make a whole lot of time to watch things that I didn't make. You know, if it's not coming out through me, I don't really care. Uh, the a few weeks ago, probably about a month or two ago, I was downstairs and I had time turned on Netflix and I saw the Skinwalker Ranch show is on there and I have not watched a lot of that show. I turn it on and I'm like, oh, this is actually a pretty good show. I wound up watching like five episodes, stayed up till like six o'clock in the morning. I was like, now nah, I'm going to be tired for the rest of the day. Uh, and the last episode I left off on actually had James Keenan on it. And uh, he was talking about his magnetic anomaly theory. And he had mapped out specific points on the ground that had magnetic anomalies. And there was a straight line starting on, on one side of the basin going straight through Skinwalker Ranch and then right up to the property that we were staying on. And the straight line was exactly through the location that this container was sitting. And so he didn't say that part on the show. He just, they showed a map on the show and the straight line. And I saw where it was going to, towards the property we were on. And so I shot him a text message and I said, Hey, I just saw you on the show. Uh, did that line by chance go near the container? And he goes, he said it went right up to the container. And so, um, what is it? I don't know. I don't know what the source is, but it's definitely, uh, is it paranormal? It's definitely not normal. I don't know what it is. It's beyond normal. Cause was there not a um, nuclear test run near the ranch as well? Yeah, you know, I don't know much about the nuclear tests that were run by the uh, out in that area. I know that there have been people from the Utah area. I don't know exactly where, uh, but they actually have medical conditions because of the tests that were run out there. In fact, there's a um, a really well known radio host uh, by the name of Clyde Lewis out of Portland, Oregon, and uh, he believes that he has medical issues based off of where he lived growing up in Utah and the testing that happened out there. So uh, I, that's, a, that's an angle that I haven't looked into a whole lot, but uh, it does show that there has been heavy uh, government facility, government um, things happening in that area for a very long time. Before the Skinwalker Ranch show was even a thing and popular, uh, Harry Reid, the, the senator, um, I forget what state he was a senator for. I think he's passed away now, but he retired probably about four or five years ago. And uh, he actually was involved in the financing and the um, the research going on with the property of Skinwalker Ranch for quite some time. So this is this has been something that the government involvement has been uh, strong in. If you look at what's been happening the last, I don't know, four, let's just say five, six, seven years with the government coming out and throwing little seeds of information of, hey, we have possession of craft that weren't made here on Earth and uh, we have bodies and you know, we have all these whistleblowers coming out. It does seem to me like it's been uh, organized and uh, strategic. But the fact is that the government is now, at least our government, is coming out and saying that they have been involved in these kind of things. And uh, I do think that there's a reason why they're saying it. Uh, I could go a million different directions as to why they're doing it. What's the end game? What's the reason for it? We can go to global politics, the possible world wars that we're going to be experiencing here soon. Uh, I, I just think there's so many different angles to it. But 
they don't do anything for free and they don't they don't come out and just talk freely about things because oh well we just think you should know like theoretically yeah sure uh the government in america is supposed to work for the people uh traditionally nope that hasn't been happening like that for a very long time so uh they have zero respect for the people so when they, when they come out and inform people of anything it's constantly looking at it and saying, well, what's your, what, what's the reason for this? Well, why are you actually talking about this? And uh, it's always one of those things where when they're telling you to look this way, look at the opposite way. Uh, when they're telling you information, think, okay, why, why, why? Uh, and so that's kind of how I view it and stuff. And when it comes to the Skinwalker Ranch, I mean, their involvement with the research there has been heavy. And I do think it's because the government understands the paranormal is way more normal and real than anybody can imagine. Uh, I think that they are actually way ahead of civilians when it comes to paranormal research in general. I think that they're accessing other realms, to be honest with you. Uh, and so uh, I know that sounds crazy, but uh, I've I've talked to some people that just kind of had me spinning with information. So hope you're enjoying the podcast. This is with my sponsor, Shady Rays. Check them out. Gear up for the season ahead with quality shades built to last. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered with premium polarized shades and quick swap snow goggles that won't break the bank. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers an arrival product that's just as good as any expensive pair we've worn. Durable frames and world-class optics for all outdoor adventures. And if you're into winter sports, the quick swap snow lenses move effortlessly between full sun to low light environments. And these shades hide a multitude of sins since having the little man. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost or broken replacements. If you lose or break your pair, even on day one, they told us they will send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. Were your Shady Rays with confidence because they have your back long after your purchase? If you don't love your Shady Rays, exchange for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop. The team always has your back with personal and fast support. Exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays is giving out an amazing deal for the season. Go to ShadyRays.com and use code SEAN, S-H-A-U-N. For 50% off two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses, try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over a quarter million people. Thanks for supporting our sponsor. Back to the podcast. Cheers. Tony, there's something just before we move on, right? We're, for me, it's fascinating. The shipping container is fascinating. And there's been a couple of weird uh, scientific explanations for rocks moving across deserts and things like this. Uh, this is not the case. These rocks left drag marks and things like this. I think the magnetic uh, field theory is fascinating because we're talking about a lump of metal here. But there's one other part of the documentary, and if it's all right with you, I'd kind of like to play it, and I'd like you to sort of take us through this. Yeah. <clears throat> and then once we watch this clip, I've got a direct quote uh, that I'm sure is going to segue into our next section, but we'll give Victoria a chance to comment as well. Now, give me a second whilst I... Here we go. All right. So we... This this section here, I believe you guys are about to start watching something on a camera. Uh, if it's all right with you, I'm just going to play a little bit of this. And I want you to, to take us through this moment a little bit. What you're seeing right now is... This is the binocular circle 
and then the camera pushed up against it, all right? Okay. Now, there's that's what I'm focusing on. That's the solar panels with the lights. Okay. Right? And again, we were just like, well, let's see what this place is like. I have no idea. And now watch this area right around here. Oh, shoot, sorry. <laughs> Oh wow. Now we, we slow it down. Huh. Wow. Wow. Now we slow it down again and he pulls in on it. Wow, what oh, wow. is that? It's crazy. Watch watch it yeah, watch compared to that tree that whole tree right there. It's pretty big. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Does it look almost Ooh. like it's cloaking too? But then once it left frame, it went, and then I couldn't see it anymore. And you saw it with your naked eye. I saw it with naked eye. He was holding his camera. That's your camera. Uh -huh. He was holding it there. And he, you know, he, he, you see how he's trying to get it to like, and we were just trying to get to see what this was to get video of this. And I went, whoa! Yeah. So I think for a lot of people, when they watch a documentary like this, and I know what f film and stuff is like, I know what looking at grainy footage is like, I know when you see a blob this size and there's a blob here and this blob's doing something, how mind-blowing it can be. But for people watching it back, these are the moments where people write things off because you don't have 45 minutes of a documentary to explain to us what, what yeah. you're seeing here and what's going on. It seemed like quite a pivotal moment for you guys and you know, having, having another almost feather in your hat for things that you are experiencing. Can you take us through what happened in this moment and what it is viewers are actually witnessing? Yeah, so this this experience, I mean, one, I wish I was there to experience it. This is what kicked off the entire week for us. This is the first thing that happened, and it didn't even happen while I was there. I was still on the way to the ranch. Joseph and Christian arrived to the ranch, like I said, a day early. They set up a, a binoculars, and for whatever reason, so they're, they're setting up binoculars to see the mesa and just look over the area, and for whatever reason, at that time, uh, Christian decided to take his cell phone, which we were we were not going to use any kind of cell phone footage that was shot through binoculars on my documentary. Uh, we we have real cameras for that, you know. Uh, so he just did it for his own purposes. And just as he did that, there was this white thing that came down out of the sky. Now. In the, in the documentary, all you see is what we caught on footage because Christian actually caught this on footage. It was a white whatever shooting horizontally across frame, and we filmed that. But what makes it really interesting is that Joseph said he saw it with his naked eye, and what he saw was it come down straight vertically, then go horizontally across the frame, and then shoot back up straight vertically. And so that's not a bird and there's it's not i'm sorry it's not trash uh, it happened extremely fast um the 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 area is known for this kind of stuff 
And uh, I'm not sure exactly what it was, but to me, it definitely had some kind of intelligence to it. And uh, it, it just, it set off the entire week for us. I mean, like I said, it was the first thing we experienced. And from that point on, we had a, a, a pretty wild roller coaster of different categorical things happening to us that week. And if you want to say that the whole area is, you know, quote unquote, alive or was aware of us, uh, that was the welcoming party. That was like, hey, they're here. And I, I will say this too: uh, the vertical thing we actually did capture on camera, but I don't talk about it because uh, not everybody can see it. It's a, it's a, it's weird. I don't know if it's people's eyes or if it's the device you're watching it on. But um, and I'm not even sure if this is actually in the documentary. It probably is. But this scene that I'm referring to is actually in the trailer for the film. Uh, when the trailer was sent over to me, it was sent over to, through text. And when I got it, I watched it and I was like, hey, there's a UFO on the night vision. And the guy who made it, Ward, uh, the cameraman, he's like, where? And I gave him the timestamp and he looked it over. And he's like, I don't see it. Now, he ha I have an iPhone. He has an Android. He couldn't see it. I could see it. And I can see it on several different iPhones. Uh, and even on my my apple computers but uh in the in the the trailer itself right before i do like a a, a shot of my face and i'm saying you know here it comes again or something like that and it's night vision footage uh right before that you're just seeing some bushes and out out behind the bushes there's this on night on night vision it looks like a light and it shoots horizontally straight up into the sky i didn't know we filmed that until i got the trailer and so is there other things in the in the documentary that I still don't know is there? It's very possible because of the activity we had. Uh, so when Joseph sees this white object come down out of the sky horizontally, then go or uh, vertically and then go up vertically, uh, we actually did capture something like that another time while we were out there. So uh, is it the same thing? I don't know. But that that situation, I was I was really excited about going out there because. I knew the container had moved. The property owner told me about that. And then the other thing was the UFO that happened before we got out there. So I was like, this area is just rich with activity. And I was, I thought for sure, you know, one, I thought for sure we're going to experience something. But even if we didn't experience anything as the filmmaker, the one who is funding the project, all this stuff, I'm like, all right, so you're telling me we have a storyline of this property that's next to Skinwalker Ranch, this, um, this container that mysteriously moved the history of the property we're staying on and the weird things happening to it. And then we filmed a, a UFO in broad daylight. I was thinking to myself, if nothing else happens, at least we have a film with something on, on, on footage. Uh, but little did I know that was just the beginning for that week. It's, it's, it's incredible. And again, I just wanted to emphasize that because a lot of what people go to is Hollywood. And when you see grainy footage like this and a whole, you know, grown rationally thinking men getting excited over it i just wanted you to expand on it because i'm a true believer and i'm blown away by the stuff like the container the stuff that you've got on film we're going to get to the some of the most amazing parts next but victoria is there anything that yes so i wanted to ask you you did stumble across uh, rituals um with the uh, skeletons all marked yeah. out on the floor and I, I was wondering um what do you think the rituals um mean what's their kind of purpose 
Um, and is it just dark energy around that area, or is there something good going on in in the uh, in the site? So I I don't I don't perceive that ritual circle as anything but dark. Um, I don't know if it was just me there coming across it. I would think it's probably not the greatest thing, but I really wouldn't have any information to go with. It wasn't until we, <clears throat> excuse me, it wasn't until we had uh, gotten confirmation from two different people that live on the reservation that that itself was a skinwalker ritual circle, and so it kind of put um, it kind of put the, the everything in perspective moving forward. Then that we knew we were at a very close, like we were camping not even a quarter mile away from that i mean it was right there uh and there was an active ritual circle right where we were camping essentially uh it kind of put a lot of things in perspective um the ritual circle th this kind of stuff uh it's dark it's dark when it comes to the the legends of the skinwalker how is a skinwalker even comes into existence so like people set, attribute like upright walking dogs to skinwalkers they attribute um horses to skinwalk like all these different animals and uh bigfoot or whatever uh but i think the reason for that is because of the 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 movement behind the phenomenon where uh skinwalkers are basically a, a human being who is a very dark person uh it, there's just not the kind of person you want to hang out with because in order to become a skinwalker you have to go through these rituals and part of the ritual is that you have to sacrifice another person that's very close to you. That can't be the neighbor that, you know, didn't return the lawnmower last year. Like it has to be a child, a spouse, a parent, a sibling, somebody that you love. You have to be willing to sacrifice that person to gain this dark magic. And so if you're dealing with a skinwalker, it tells you the type of person that you're dealing with. You're dealing with somebody who is willing to kill somebody to have this kind of power. Um, that then allows them to transform, shapeshift into uh, uh, countless other things. Uh, it can be these upright walking dogs that people talk about, but it can be uh, more natural animals as well. Uh, and so the ritual side of things, I think it's pretty dark. Uh, there's also occultic angles where um, I don't know much about it, but I, this is what I've been told. Uh, one, I've been told by... Uh, a, a guy who was a former Satanist that uh, at some point you reach a level where you have to choose what you want to pursue. And this is along the lines of skinwalker shapeshifter. He didn't say it that way to me, but it's along the same lines uh, that you have to choose whether you want to become a werewolf or a vampire. And he was told to become a, a vampire because being a, becoming a werewolf is one of the most excruciating things physically you'll ever go through. And so there's that angle of it. But then there's also the angle that I've been told where in the occult that they'll do rituals where they'll actually wear the skin of a wolf and they'll do some kind of ritual trying to transform their body into uh, a wolf. And whether that works or not, I guess, for, to the actual transformation, uh, we don't know. But we do theorize uh, amongst ourselves that is it possible that somebody that is going through this ritual and doing the ritual actively if they come across or somebody comes across that person in the middle of a ritual is it possible that that person that stumbles across it uh 
comes underneath the spell almost where they are perceiving what is being cast through the spell. So when somebody walks away and they're like, I saw a werewolf, it really wasn't a werewolf, but rather somebody going through a ritual projecting this image. Um, it, it's just, we, we try to pursue a lot of different lines of thinking. Um, we have some guys on the, on the crew that are much more rational, uh, than I am. Uh, but I, I, I'm probably jaded because of all the people I've, I've talked to, uh, that like I referenced earlier and stuff, I'm very convinced that human beings, whether it's governmental or down to people who accidentally stumble across it, dabble interdimensionalism. I do think that this Imwalker phenomenon has an angle of interdimensionalism attached to it. Uh, so, so, go ahead. So, so do you think it opens up another portal? Because um, I watched another episode on on your um, podcast. Um, the portal was green, opens up in the sky. Was that linked to the pulsing lights in the sky in Utah? Yeah. No. So uh, what you're talking about, oh man, that's one of my favorite episodes. Uh <laughs> that what you're talking about it happened in california in joshua yeah. tree it's a desert uh just yeah. like utah um there so in utah there have been reports of portals opening up uh the guy who owns the property ryan burns space wolf research that we were on um he has on footage a portal opening up that he had on a security camera um this is something that happens uh, in, in many different locations uh, and we do find that it happens a lot in desert locations. And I don't know why. Uh, the one in California, that was, so uh, what's say Tuesday. So this Thursday, I have a conversation coming out uh, with a returning guest. It's for my members only. Uh, but this guy, he at one time was a satanic high wizard. Uh, he was literally paid to go around by the satanic church to cast spells for very powerful people. And um, he, in the first time, the first conversation I ever had with him, he told me how he used to dress. And uh, it was very um, gothic. Uh, it, it, it's, it's a look that you wouldn't mistake for anything else in the sense of what he was wearing. It was like a, it was like a black three-piece suit, uh, a black top hat. He would paint his face white, almost to look like a skeleton. And there's a music video by the name, uh, by the artist name of uh, Pink. It, back in the day early 2000s i think the song is called like a pill and in that music video is a satanic high wizard and he calls that person out and says that that is a satanic high wizard just based off how they're dressed and what they're doing and when and when you watch the music video without that information that person behind behind pink kind of just you gloss over you don't even realize what's going on there you don't know you just your brain blocks it out once he brings it to your attention like what is that guy doing there it looks like he's casting spells over this artist um so he says that on the show and that was, I think, like episode 60 something. I mean, it's been a long time. And when I aired the episode you're referring to, I think it was episode 512. I called it Desert Portal Death Cult. And in that episode, the guy, James, I'm talking to said that when he first arrived in the desert at this location, unexpected, they weren't expecting him. At least he thought uh, somebody came up to him and said that you're a VIP and gave him a bracelet to wear. And signifying he was set apart from everybody else there, even though he didn't pay to get in there. He was just brought there. And um, when he described that person, he said that person was wearing what looked like a mad hatter hat. When that when he said it to me, it went right over my head. And I and I don't really dabble in Discord a whole lot. My Discord server, that's really for the fans of the show. But I was in there for whatever reason. And somebody asked that question. They said, 
when he said the, the Mad Hatter had, do you think it was uh, a high wizard? And I was like, you know what? That's a good question. So I took a screenshot of the music video that Zach said was a uh, high wizard. I sent it to my guest and I said, is this what you saw? The guy who gave you the bracelet wearing the Mad Hatter hat, is that what he looked like? And he said, during the day, he had a lot less uh, face paint on, but at night, that's exactly how he looked. And so right there, I was like, okay, so you, you're, you're telling me you basically had a high wizard at this event, which is why you had such wild things happening. And then that theory that I had uh, was confirmed when I recorded with the guy I'm releasing on Thursday. because so I brought him back on, Zach King, the, the former high wizard, and I asked him about the whole situation. And he said that was absolutely a uh, high wizard and that's why he went through those things and i asked him if that's something that um would be repeatable i mean because i know where this happened at i know when they do it i know when this whole thing happens every year and um to being a documentary filmmaker you know where i'm already going with this i'm gonna <laughs> i want to go out there and document this this whole event um so i asked him is it repeatable and he said it's only repeatable if the high wizard's there and the high wizard uh is hired to do these kind of things so they may not hire him every year uh but i have a sneaky suspicion that they probably do based on what kind of event that we're talking about here but that i mean you, you got me kind of sidetracked on a different desert but uh the the, the 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 joshua tree portal cult i'm telling you it's wild because i after i aired that interview i had um so not far from there is uh the the 29 palms military base which has a lot of weird things happening around it and on that military base when new people come on the the people i don't know the the ceos or whoever that's touring the new people on the base they're like when you're off base there's a lot of cults out of here stay away from them and the one guy i had talked to he reached out to me after the the show aired to tell me that he had an experience with a guy he was in charge of the the guys who were getting kicked out of the military they were they were the bad guys they just they did something bad they're getting kicked out but their papers are being processed so they can't just be let go so they're kind of in this holding stage and he was to oversee those guys so his job was to look after them well these guys would go off base do whatever they wanted to do and one of the guys because they were allowed to live off base during this time one of the guys asked him if he could drive him out to joshua tree for a party and when he's listening to the episode that I was airing, he said it just stopped him in his tracks because what the guy on my show was describing was exactly what he saw when he drove this guy out to the party, like this, this party in the desert. And so I sent him the coordinates that I have of the exact location. When I sent it to him, he's like, that's exactly where I drove this guy to. So I know it's something that happens often. It's repeatable. I just don't know if the high wizard's there to do all the fun, funky stuff that I can catch on camera. Sorry, it sounds so bizarre, just high wizard just getting mentioned yeah. on this on this so, podcast and now now <laughs> i want to run and watch the the, the pink video and rewatch yeah. it again because i love that song like appeal and i'm like oh it's a great song baffled. yeah i mean a lot yeah. of wizards do get high jen i mean it's just the way it goes <laughs> uh, yeah. I, just, I just want to dial this back Tony, right because th this is interesting because let's say for a second the legends are true the magic is real okay the altars do what they're meant to do Tell me about the poop, Tony. Okay. Tell me about the poop. Okay. Because if the place is covered in horse poop. Okay. Fresh you, horse poop. Fresh horse yeah. poop. There's no horses. Okay. Yeah. That's fascinating. Okay. Because if we want to say it's a person turning into a horse. Okay. And they're, they're pooping horse poop. Okay. That's one thing. If it's some sort of spell where you're made to see something. 
I don't think it would leave behind poop. Because I was almost about to throw out there, if the Skinwalker spells can make you see something. So, for example, let's say no one's changing in anything. You're just seeing what their mind wants you to see. Those cars might not have been real, Tony. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, because in, in 800 years ago, a horse was a car. Yeah. So yeah. people would see them everywhere. So if you want to blend in as a skinwalker in 2023, I'm thinking SUV off-road vehicle, Tony. That's what I'm thinking. It's like why, it's like the aliens. Shape them like planes. No one's, <laughs> no one's going to talk about the planes. Just shape them like planes, aliens. Stop making them round. Too suspicious. So just think, just think. Because for me, I'm a full-on believer, okay? But I, I, I love when science and magic come to head, right? It's, it's a beautiful thing, right? And I, I think there's so much of this that skeptics are going to write off and get a, night, a good night's sleepover, right? For me, this has opened up so many... So there's too many loose ends, Tony. It's a big yeah. pile of loose ends that just baffle the mind. Because I feel like you were being teased by the the the, the powers. Oh, just as your mate puts his phone to a freaking binocular, you get something. Just so happens that you're camping from this uh, altar, you know. And a lot of people who spent their life in the woodlands, right, might not necessarily know how bones look in the desert. Okay, they are bleached. Okay, they are they because when I saw the documentary, you know, earlier today, I rewatched it, and I was like, "There's something weird about those bones." I'm thinking they look like they've been boiled. They look like they've been processed. But believe it or not, when you Google desert skeletons, that's that's what they look like. Okay, and that kind of blew my mind a little bit. So, are we talking about okay when we bring in the the high wizards and we bring in the reality of magic? when it comes to upper echelons of society, whether it's politicians, whether it's the Kardashians, whatever, right? Are we looking at an ancient religion, right, that is then modernized through Satanism and all this kind of stuff? Because, you know, Jeebus and the devil, they're kind of new kids on the block in the grand spectrum of the world, okay? And then we're not going to debate Christians about who made the earth and all this kind of stuff. We're just, just for the, the sake of this, we're just going to look at timeline. New kid on the block, right? The religions, the big three are new kids on the block. Going back, do you think this is a well-known, forgotten art form that the 1% still have a pinky in? Or do you think this is something more culturally remote to the Native Americans, because there's so much of this that is so similar to other cultures. And when we talk about interdimensions, it kind of all falls into place. So where, where do you land? Do you think this is uh, modern magic? Do you think this is a forgotten art? Where do you land on where this sits in 2023? Yeah, and so are the Kardashians I... uh, shapeshifters? Oh, for sure. I mean, clearly they have a, their, their doctor will confirm that one. Uh, Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I personally, I feel like, so first of all, I never had anybody ask me about the poop. And for a second, I thought mine, like, I was like, who told you? You know, so uh, I, I was, I had to bring up the poop, Tony. I had to bring I, up the poop. 
please bring me back to to this what i'm about to go into i just want to tell people the reason why you brought that up is because we actually found trackways that transform from human to horse and that's why you brought the horse poop uh but the 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 ancient aspect of this i'm not sure that the the one percent the elites uh held on to something as much as they're rediscovering something and i think that's why we we get hints of uh things leaking out throughout time so a lot of people don't talk about this i'm not sure why i've been talking about it a lot recently but i've also been appearing on people's shows recently promoting so maybe this is something that i would talk about more if people ask me questions instead of me asking them questions but um everybody talks about the clintons and the 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 email server and the dump of emails uh people don't really talk about it a whole lot anymore and they specifically don't talk about one of the emails that were very curious within uh, Hillary Clinton's email server. And it all we have is the subject line of that email. We can't see the content uh, within it, but in the subject line, it's enough to make you question. And I, I always, I save uh, this link on my phone because I just like being able to refer back to it. Uh, it is, the, whoever sent this is a name that they believe is an alias that Hillary was using herself just because of the sheer amount of uh, email sent by this one particular person but uh the subject line says requesting documents pertaining to the resurrection chamber of gilgamesh the location of his body and the location of the buried nephilim why would a one percent elite politician such as hillary clinton uh be searching for such things and then when you find out that in her emails she su suggested things and they say, oh, it was tongue in cheek that she was kidding, but, you know, sacrificing a chicken to Moloch. Well, listen, um, I do this for I do this for a living. Like I, I talk to people about paranormal experiences and not one time in a joking conversational way will I ever suggest that I'm going to go sacrifice one of my chickens, which I do have chickens um, to Moloch. Uh, it's not something that even crosses my mind. So why is it that it's crossing her mind and she's also searching for Gilgamesh? Uh, the resurrection chamber um in 2003 when the uh when when america went into iraq uh it, it was heavily talked about back then how uh they found the the tomb the, the the chamber of gilgamesh uh it was on the news and the the idea is did they find ancient technology with that and what are they doing with it uh there's a lot of questions there but my thought is that the elites are, re are trying to rediscover frantically probably on a lot of levels uh how to do ancient things that were once able to be done a long time ago um and and so i think i think that might even point to what's going on with skinwalker ranch when it comes to government involvement they they're not interested in just fascination like it's not like the people that listen to my show they're fascinated by the paranormal oh that's really interesting there's they don't they don't do things they don't put money in things because they're, they're oh it's interesting they do it because they're trying to utilize it what are they trying to utilize it for uh, yeah. i i think that they're they they put a lot of weight into these things and uh go ahead i'm sorry i'll just ramble <laughs> no no it's all right i just i don't know if you understand the meaning of the word chicken okay like the fbi released um a list of terms and symbols the fbi yeah right and these terms and symbols are are used by people that move people from one place to another and individuals who focus on a lifestyle where they're attracted to children. And they have a code language, Tony, and the FBI released that chicken 
stands for young boy. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when you start applying this terminology to a lot of the emails that were pulled from that, that leak, it opens up a very interesting story and sacrificing a chicken. Well, it's tongue in cheek, Tony, right? We're playing D and D it's the house D and D. But when you apply what the FBI has released as official terminology, to that it paints a much darker darker picture so i just wanted to ruin your night with that no you're not ruining my night like that that's something that um i'm glad you brought up because you know it's It's something that floats around the back of my head but i you know i'm on somebody else's show it's i don't i don't want to you know like like like, there's there's things i found out so i'm just now starting to take youtube serious after seven years of podcasting like maybe we should really try doing the video thing too uh and I, I, we just got our first strike on YouTube for something that we can't talk about, apparently. Welcome, welcome to the club. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah. like, I just, I'm constantly biting my tongue because I don't know what I can say, what I can't. I see how you did that and the way you, you didn't say certain words, which is yeah. good. But, but I, I, there's, there's a crash course I can give you, Tony. I, uh, <laughs> I'll have I, you on speed dial. Yeah. I spent seven years as an investigative journalist tracking down individuals in the dark web who profited from this kind of stuff and trying to put them all in jail and ruining their financial gains. So when it comes to the Clintons, when it comes to the bigger picture, when it comes to the things we can't talk about, you and me will talk about them on WhatsApp, my G, because the road is dark, but pulling us back, pulling us back like a presenter. (laughs) Yeah. Welcome. Smash the like button. Remember to subscribe. If you Uh, you want to, if you want to be scared, the conversation we just had is way more scary than anything I can offer you for sure. Well, I listen. was thinking about that. I was like, oh, I want to ask him in a minute, like his scary, you know, scary story, blah, blah, blah. And I was thinking he's actually describing it right now. <laughs> <laughs> I got plenty. I want to just pick at the label, right, for a second of why the government would want to be involved and spend money on something if there wasn't something there. Because that is a paper trail. Someone's paying someone's wages. We know there is taxpayer money being spent as much as we know as something moved that shipping container, Tony, right? And at this particular world climate, we don't have expendable, you know, money. So I think there's a deep interest in the government to see what the hell happens to people when they go there. Because it's very difficult for people to just keep vanishing and allegedly be experimented on by governments and things like this. But if you create a buzz, right, if you create a Disneyland that draws people in with the intention of observing what can potentially happen to them, I think that is a good use of money. Because one... (laughs) <laughs> the guinea pigs are walking in the fire themselves, Tony. Okay, all you got to do is set up some cameras that look like rocks, okay? And then we're off. I mean, it's satellites, let's be honest, right? But for the terms of the for narration, little rocks with little periscopes, right? Like, that to me seems logical because did they learn a lesson from Area 51 by going, no one's allowed here and creating mythology and shutting it off? Did they learn to not put up walls with the Skinwalker Ranch. Because, Tony, the land comes alive at night, okay? That is that is something that sat with me from your documentary. And if indeed we're talking about uh, paranormal that the government knows more about, what do you think on the possibility that you are in a rat maze unknowing that you were the rat being observed? I feel like that, looking back on it, for sure. I feel yeah. like... 
when I look back on it and stuff, it, it, it felt like there was a welcoming party to us. And it was, it was all, it felt like it was designed at times when you look back yeah. at it. Um, to that point, I, I personally think that is a real possibility as to what's happening with this whole UFO thing. I think that the government for a very long time has been testing this technology on their own pilots. And when their pilots are coming out now saying, yeah, we had interaction with you know UFOs in the sky when we're in our jets, they're not lying. But it was our own government testing this technology on their pilots. Like if you're going to use something in war, the best way to do it is to test it on your wartime pilots to see how they interact with this stuff so that you know how the enemy will interact with it as well. Uh, and you don't want to tell them ahead of time. You want to surprise them with it. Uh, so there, there's definitely a possibility to that. Uh, but even the paranormal side of it and stuff, it, it, whether it was government or entities, beings, the area coming alive, it felt like it was aware of us. It felt like it, it almost it, like it knew we were going to be there. Um, there's a hitchhiker effect that happens with this stuff. And people say that, you know, things happen when they go home. Uh, I didn't experience that, but there have been people who claim to have brain injuries from being in these areas for too long. Uh, and so what, what is, what is, what is even that? It just seems to me like there is uh, a real intent and, and our experience that night, I mean, what you see in the film, yeah. most of that action happened in one night. You said intent there, Tony. And this is the thing, this is my next spanner in the works. I'm sorry, girls, there's a big, long, drawn-out point. I'm getting to the end of it, okay? So magic, a lot of it comes down to intent, Tony, right? And magical places, right? Intent, people have different experiences, okay? You often hear that you have to believe in ghosts to see ghosts. What if your intentions as an investigator are seen by the land as different from the imposing government bodies that seem to be lying on the outskirts, you know, if we're to assume that they're quite happily put a wall around Area 51 and keep it completely locked off, arguably, let's look at the other side. Why haven't they done that here? Is there a reason? Was there more than shipping containers being destroyed out in that desert? Do you think that there is a certain possibility that the land allowed you there to do what you were doing? And maybe the government and its intentions were known and not wanted and that's why they were hating and following us around because they wanted to know how we were doing what we were doing uh i don't know i don't know that that's that, essentially that's how i feel i mean i i don't want to say that that's what i believe because i i don't know but i get that sense that there there something came alive and allowed us to have these experiences uh and and the way it unfolded, I mean, you can have the situations where when we got there, we well, before I got there, we had that UFO video, and then we found the trackway that day, and then that night I found the ritual circle with Ward, and then right after the ritual circle is when the sky became alive. And so, like, if you, if you want to say, you know, okay, so you saw a UFO, okay, but we didn't see a UFO that night. We saw tons of, we were out there for like two hours filming just constantly. Like we, we literally, if we would have put all that in the, in the film, it would have been way longer. It would have been a YouTube video. That's what, that's what YouTubers do. They just put all their film, everything they filmed on one video. It's five hours long. Enjoy it. Um, but 
that whole that whole night was just jam packed with action in the sky, and it kicked off with a weird, very large beam of light shooting up into the sky across the valley on the mesa. And I don't know what that is. Uh, since since filming that, I mentioned how I was watching that Skinwalker Ranch show. That was in one of the episodes that was on that show. And I don't know if they filmed it the same night we were filming or, and I doubt it, I doubt that's the case. I think this is something that has happened a lot. And so we filmed something that they filmed on a previous or future night. And so when that thing shot up into the sky, that's when the sky started lighting up. And I don't know if that, I've never even thought about this until now. Like <laughs> we're talking about the possibility of things underground. What if- yeah. What if that beam of light, because I'm talking like this beam of light, I always say it had to be at least 50 to 100 feet wide. Well, that almost seems like maybe there's something going on underground, like a base and some kind of doorway opened up and the light oh, came oh, out. Or the freaking bat signal was turned on, Tony. I'm, <laughs> like, I'm not being funny. I know. Like, I'm not being funny. When you, when you, if you're at one side of a lake and I'm at the other side of the lake and we can't shout to each other, but we have a torch each. How are we going to communicate, Tony? How are we going to do that? Okay, we're going to like point the yep. torch, and the, you're just getting to that point, Tony, right? Because yeah. what was that? I don't what know. Was that? <laughs> I don't know, and that's I think I, I'm literally sitting here thinking. I need answers, Tony. I need answers. <laughs> it's it's too much, mate. It's too much because I'm just here listening to it. You were there in the desert yeah. watching it bonkers, it's I know. bonkers. We, need, we need those videos tony we need the youtube video oh they put them on fire yes do that tony <laughs> do that Please. i'm just wondering why it's not abundant with ufo hunters around there then uh, right, if you're seeing them are. in two hours there are because yeah big place yeah there's a lot of them that go out there in fact there's this one uh place i didn't get to see it that the guys saw it the day before they talked to the owner of the property but apparently like she does ufo tours like it's it's that common out there. And I think that even I think Stephen Greer even takes some of his groups out there for CE5 uh, to summon these UFOs, which wow. is a whole other topic of conversation. Uh, what are they actually summoning? I don't know. Uh, but yeah, this is something that that's yeah, I, I, I agree. I wish I had more answers. And, you know, I basically I have my experiences and my theories and and thoughts on what we experienced but that's the beauty of what we're doing i mean we're not going out there uh as let me tell you what this is kind of people we're just going out there and seeing what's up and we're just normal dudes i i like i i mean i was a former truck driver now i do this my my buddy joel i mean he's a musician uh ward my cameraman he used to be a videographer glenn beck at the blaze before he started working with me i mean it's just like we're just some dudes that are just interested in this stuff and decided to go out and document uh it's funny because sometimes people get pretty aggressive when they feel like we don't have the answers they're looking for and i'm like i don't know what you want from me like my, my my whole reputation is based off of people sharing their real life experiences you don't want me going and making a film that's fake so you don't want me you don't want me making things up for entertainment purposes you want to be entertained by the real situation that we experienced and so like when we fit when we filmed our first film exhibition dog man and we didn't kill a dog man throw in the back of the truck and 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 like they're like you didn't even see a dog man it's like well what do you like i can't make this stuff up i mean if you want me to make it up 
like that. Well, I won't because it, it's just not what I'm about. So that exact reason was why I wanted to touch and emphasize on that bit of footage, Tony. Okay, because that's the reality of this. There, when we talk about magic, we're not talking about fireballs and like you know summoning a dragon and it looking awesome and the dragon's all made of fire. Not, I mean, it could be happening, but it, it, it's it's really a lot more confusing than obvious if that makes sense and yeah. there's if any this before i'm, I'm going to shop i swear to god girls if there's anything you want to touch on because there's another point that i want to get on to and i can't guarantee how long it's going to drag out for so um if there's anything else you want to touch yeah on. can i can i actually ask you i know that you turned to christianity um was it recently or in the last few years um uh, yeah i and how does your faith and exploring exploring the supernatural does that conflict in any way so uh i was raised in a christian household but i i kind of um in my 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 20s i i just kind of i went i went crazy i'm just gonna be honest with you i was i was insane and uh i did a lot of bad things and um i had a radical experience uh when i was 27 i think it was 28 i went to a funeral and uh just encountered god there that i never would have expected um and it changed me. And so that has always been the, ever since then, the driving force of my life, uh, my faith. And when this all happened, uh, the podcasting and stuff, I was nervous and hesitant with it because I didn't know what to make of it outside of how it all started, which I didn't share in the beginning with you. It kind of went over my head. Um, and I'll, I'll share with you guys real quick here because it, it can be a long story. Um, when I was driving truck, uh, I was in, I was interested in these topics and uh, I would listen to, you know, different podcasts or whatever, but it was always, it was just an interest. I would dabble in forums on Facebook and stuff, just talking. And I was in my tractor trailer driving in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I felt like God spoke to me and told me that I was going to be a podcaster and that I was going to work with a, alongside a guy named Wes Germer from Sasquatch Chronicles. I had never talked to Wes. I didn't know him. I had listened to his podcast and I just went home that night. I told my wife what I felt like God was telling me. And I was just like, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. But I, I have no idea. I, I have no idea. Like, it's just not really on my radar. So I just went about my life and continued driving truck. And then about a month later, um, I backed my truck into the dock at work to go home. It was about 830 at night. And I got a Facebook phone call, like over messenger from Wes Germer. I didn't know him. And, and so I answered the phone and, uh, we talked for about 45 minutes in our first conversation. He said to me, you know, I think you'd be a good podcaster. I was just like, this is crazy. And, uh, and so him and I started a relationship and, and, and we're, we're, he's like one of my best friends, Like We don't work together in a business sense, but we talk to each other all the time. Um, uh, and he's been a great friend over the years to me. Um, and I didn't even tell him this story that I just told you. I didn't tell him for like the first two years because I was like, I don't want to weird this guy out. You know, <laughs> like this is kind of weird. Um, so going into the paranormal stuff, I think I would have been more maybe even psychologically wigged out on it if it wasn't for how I felt like it all started. And so I always felt like this is something that I was commissioned to do and I pursued it that way. And I just, and I'm not like, I, I know I'd say things tongue in cheek, like, Hey, I'm just a stupid podcaster. Look the other way. And, and you know, I'm not stupid, but I'm also not a genius and I'm not, I'm not great at business and all that stuff. This all just kind of seemed to fall in line. 
and it just kind of happened and it almost felt like i didn't even have to try and it was just it was just falling into place and um so to answer your question i i don't know exactly why i've been commissioned to do this that's what i believe has happened i, be, I do believe i've been commissioned to do this uh and so does my team all of us have a similar story on how we got to where we're at um and we don't really understand why but other than the fact that we all come from a perspective that we believe that this is a very supernatural world we live in and as human beings individually and collectively we've gotten away from that understanding of how supernatural this world is and as christians we believe that we worship a supernatural god and the more we pursue and look at the supernatural the closer we get to understanding of the of the god we worship and for whatever reason we feel like we have been kind of put in this unique path of life to show the world that this stuff is real and that's why when you guys uh one of you asked in the very beginning do you believe it? yeah i do believe this is real uh and and i and i have done uh my own looking into when it comes to just the christian theological aspect of things with the the old testament and the stories in there there's a lot of weird things that happen in that book and when you start looking at things with the with the supernatural worldview and then you start looking at what's happening around you in today's world and what i'm looking into it all just kind of comes together and makes sense to me and um so yeah i don't know if that's the shorter long version of the answer that you to your question but that's kind of why i i do what i do uh there's there's actually a deep spiritual purpose for me and um it's just been really interesting since 2017 january 19th 2017 i dropped my first episode of the confessionals that's what started all this when i started all this i was the only christian in the in the paranormal world doing podcasting like this and i was very outspoken and i, I don't go on my show preaching i i don't do that those kind of things it's not the kind of show that i felt god wanted me to do just wanted me to talk to people and bring these stories to the public and so like when the conversation turns in a spiritual direction I don't really hide how I view things and think about things. And when I first started doing this stuff, I can't tell you how, I don't know if the word lonely is the word I should use, but I, I, was, I was very aware that I was on an island by myself. And I was even more aware of it when I would say something on an episode, that episode's released. And, I was, and back then you see all the comments because there's not many of them. And, when, and, and the people were not happy when every time I said anything about God, they were just like, oh, he had to bring God into it. And it's just like, yeah. you know, like, so um, it kind of, it, it got lonely. And then it got to the point where it was frustrating. You become jaded over time. You start thinking about, you know, why am I even doing this? Uh, why, why does my entire audience hate me? Because that's how it felt like at times. But since then, the, my team of guys and other podcasters that I'm not directly working with have been brought into this sphere and i don't think it's an accident and i think there's a lot more guys out there now doing what i'm doing and we're all on the same mission in sense and i like i said my mission has just been laid before me and i'm just walking that path and i just let it go and i, I always tell people and i'll wrap it up with this i always tell people if me talking about god sinks the ship of everything that i'm doing i'm literally okay doing that i'm i'm i don't mind at all i have I live in Tennessee. I just I just moved from Philadelphia to Tennessee. It's much more rural. I have pigs and chickens. I'm a, I'm an aspiring farmer. If if everything that I'm doing just goes away because I said Jesus too many times, 
I'll just go farm. Like I'll, I'll just, I'll disappear off the internet and I'll just go be a farmer. And so that's just how I view things. So, uh, yeah. So basically it doesn't conflict as to answer your question. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, for a lot of people in the paranormal world, and especially if they're looking into that world, those who, those people who do go on this journey, it's almost like a faith or a, a belief in something, whether it's a, a God or, or magic, it's, it's a modern mindset that demands proof. We want to see facts. But I think what is lost on modern man is accepting mystery, right? And not needing an understanding, but having a belief. And that's where magic, whether it's religion or whether it's spirituality or, or whatever, that belief in something without factual evidence. The problem is a lot of people misconstrued the fact that there is evidence. It's a personal experience, Tony. You had a personal experience and it's very weird, almost word for word. I had a, almost the same experience and different gods, I might add, but almost the same experience. And to me, that was real. So I, that when the coin flipped, there was no more needing answers. The belief was real. The, the iceberg effect is not even a factor. The whole iceberg is floating on top of the water. I am, I am in, right? And I think having that unbelievable faith in something that to the normal person who hasn't experienced it is just madness, right, has shielded me when I do my own investigations because I'm very much run towards the noise. Don't run away from the noise, if, if you know what I mean. And I think for a lot of people who don't either have religion or do paranormal investigations, it's almost like a shield because you're not in there alone. Does that make sense? I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I've got some exciting news to announce. Michael Francis is coming back to tour the UK in 2024. The remade Mantor, the Michael Francis story. Michael Francis, once named one of the 50 most significant mob bosses in the USA by Fortune magazine, and a former member of the notorious Colombo crime family, will take you deep into the world of organized crime, sharing captivating tales and insights into the mafia's past present and future join us for an unforgettable evening with michael francis the original goodfella as he exclusively sits down with myself sean atwood with me as the host there's going to be a no holes barred exploration of michael francis's life including his numerous arrests and jury trials that ultimately led to his pleading guilty to a federal racketeering charge, a 10-year prison sentence, and $15 million in restitution. You will have the unique opportunity to ask questions during an audience Q&A session, making this event a must-see for true crime enthusiasts and anyone curious about the underworld. Don't miss this explosive in-conversation with Michael Francis. Live on stage in the UK, this exclusive in-person event will be held in various locations in the UK, Ireland and Scotland. Link in the description box below this video if you want to grab yourself a ticket. Back to the podcast. Cheers. So I want to talk a little bit about culture, right, and memory, okay? Because there was one, uh, I believe his name was Bo. Was his name Bo? Is yeah, right? Bo. Yeah. Um, he, again, we've just spoken about personal experience, Tony. All right, we've just spoken about the personal experience. He spoke about witnessing his grandfather shapeshift. He spoke about their culture and their belief in these things. Now, I remembered being traumatized as a child by my grandfather doing that trick with his thumb, where like it looks like you've you like move your thumb across the top, right? Now, 
simple parlor trick, okay, on a, on a kid. But I mean, I I was all in when I was like five. That was like, so if we believe that uh, Bo's uh, entire culture witnesses these shapeshifting, how much faith? Because there's no questioning Bo's faith. There's no questioning uh, any native individual, any native tribe or individual's beliefs in what they've seen. Okay, but how how do you tackle? statements where people say they have witnessed things and they have a full wholehearted belief in it detaching your religious experience if you had to tackle it head on how do you take on those moments because a lot of people this is where skepticism is fueled because it's so far-fetched you know but it's an eyewitness report now it's very interesting that when we talk about collective thought right um and we talk about these small villages in Brazil where statues bleed and things like this. Do you believe that collective belief plays a part in what Bo and his, and his culture go through? Or is it something deeper than that? Because, and I'm not questioning anything that uh, Bo's experienced. I'm just n- analyzing this because <clears throat> this whole th- subject blows my mind. How do, how do you tackle a subject matter like that when someone has such a hard belief in what they've seen and they talk about it so freely? That's probably the most democratic way of putting that. So tell yes. me. So I, um, the way I approach things is I wasn't there and I've been proven so many times or I, it's been proven to me so many times that reality is way stranger than I originally intended and thought it was. Uh, I've caught people lying to me and when that happens, I don't call them out and say, hey, man, you know, you just did this, that. I just graciously start wrapping up the interview and it just doesn't really go anywhere. It doesn't go out, you know, and I just let it go. Um, it gets more frustrating these days when it happens just because like, I don't have time to waste. You know, like my schedule is so slammed that when I schedule to sit down with somebody and I catch them lying to me, I'm just like, dude, you just wasted two hours of my life before I found yeah. that out. Like now I'm mad, you know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I wasn't there. I, I'm very uh, open to the fact that things are very strange and I don't have an explanation for everything. I also know that, like, I always use this example. If you had an atheist and a priest in the same room and they're the only ones in there and they both went through a paranormal experience, whatever that was, they both experienced it at the same time, the same thing. They're going to walk out. They're going to describe it very differently based off of their worldview going into that experience. Yeah. And so you have to take that into consideration. Like when you're talking to a Native American, they're going to describe things differently than somebody that is not part of that culture. Yeah. Uh, so you, you take that into consideration. Well, this is the thing. If we go back a thousand years in my culture, I would probably be saying I had the same experiences with my granddad. But it's only because of modern religion, science, social acceptability that we write off the mystery and the, and the and the magical things that happen in yeah. this world and bo's culture is the opposite to that it's a very it, they've protected what they have you know had for thousands of years and i think that is so pivotal pivot pivotal in all of this because when we talk about you have to believe in ghosts to see ghosts you imagine if you had to have decades and decades of belief unbroken faith collectively for these sort of things to happen so frequently. Because if we were to take all of these areas, whether it's Bigfoot, whether it's the UFO sightings, it's the deserts, it's the forest, it's the ancient places, 
forests still untouched because there's still trees there. I mean, so a lot of them have been touched, but they're untouched. These lands, other than a couple of little houses and shipping containers and some pumps, pretty barren, a.k.a. untouched. Yeah. And I think there's something about the ancient places in the world, the cultures that have lived there for centuries, and their connection to what we as modern people in uh, develops Western society or whatever word I'm trying to use here, we are so disconnected from that by... I mean, automatically, you're, we, when we're born, we're so disconnected from that. I think, and I mean, I'm, I'm a, I don't know how you feel about it, but do you think that plays uh, a part in why these areas that have ancient cultures, ancient lands, are such fruitful places for paranormal activity? Yeah, I mean, it could be something very along those lines. I mean, what if just by sheer history and the richness of the history, of a certain culture and group of people that it's almost like it's implanted imprinted on their dna yeah uh, then you could also talk about the aspect of generational curses if, if you know in the negative sense and it's just like yeah. there's definitely signs to point that you know things have been passed on through generations whether it's positive negative uh when it comes to experiential um there there's there's a real level of belief with a lot of this kind of stuff too i believe where you know native americans i mean it's so real to them whether it's because it's what they taught they experienced or imprinted on their dna that they don't only want to say the word skinwalker and it's like you say it and we summon it and yeah. and it's like so when it comes to like how do i view and how do i take my views and all this stuff it's i mean when you look at the bible it there's a lot of faith-based things in there I mean, it, like even there's a very famous story of a woman who was fighting to get through a crowd. Jesus was walking to a home where there was a girl that was dying and he was going to go heal her. And this one woman's fighting through the crowd. And she was like, if I can just touch his robe, I'm going to be healed. Like she, she had that kind of faith. And then yeah. when she I always picture it like in a theatric way, like she's jumping, like into, trying to reach the goal line. She's like, oh, it's slow motion. Um, but she just touches the, 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 the bottom of his robe. And she's healed instantaneously. And Jesus says, who touched me? And his disciples are like, there's a crowd of people around you, bro. Like everybody's touching you. And he's like, no, I felt power go out of me. And there, yeah. it, it, was, it was the idea of the faith. What really interesting is that after that whole situation happened, the person that they were going, the little girl that there was, he was going to, he got notified that, hey, she's dead. Might as well not even come. Sorry to waste your time. And he looked at the person in, and I think it was her father, if I don't, if I remember correctly, and he's like, don't stop believing in me. Let's go. But you don't stop believing in me. And so even with my own faith, I, I attribute a lot to belief. And uh, will you experience certain things uh, because of your belief? I absolutely believe that. Um, so, yeah. Well, here's, here's my, my last segue on this point. So people are going to want want fact. We, people like fact. We've talked about paper trails, government spending, all of this. If the government was in complete denial of all of this, I'm just going to throw some out for the non-believers. Do you know of the paranormal rangers, the Navajo Reserve rangers, Tony, right? Yeah. That is, those are dudes who pay their mortgage, feed their families, and their two dudes for the last decade have been the parent. They are literally the X-Files. They're Mulder and Scully. They're two Native Indian dudes 
just investigating all of this. That's their the job. Like that's that their job. <laughs> they have a pension at the end of it. They've got medical. <laughs> it's it's a real deal. So there is so much that is not recorded when it comes to people going missing in in forests in so many different places in America. Okay, and we have these paranormal rangers who are real people. Google it. That's all I'm saying, people. How much do you know about the the missing 411 saga? I mean, how much do you know? Do I? Do do I? (laughs) I, uh... Yeah. So So, just, yeah. uh, So I'm not... I would love to talk with David Politis one day who really pioneered that. Uh, I I believe that it will happen one day. Uh, I, I let things unfold naturally. I don't like forcing my way into a room... Uh, I, I just like well, we've already established you don't make your own decisions. The God no, is making yeah, you God, are like, being guided by the higher power. Tony. I'm on cruise okay. control. I'm on cruise exactly. control. Exactly. I, I always say I'm just surfing the hand of God. Wherever it goes, that's where I go. That's and really- so um, with with the missing 411, it's interesting you bring that up because in I believe it was April, we went across the country to Washington to shoot a documentary it hasn't been released yet. it'll be released in the first quarter of next year um but we went out there to do a bigfoot film we went to go uh to the scene of where my buddy i was talking about wes wes earlier um he had a very dramatic bigfoot encounter back in i think 2012 2011 him and his brother were up on a mountain in washington state very high mountains a lot of volcanoes uh and they had these things come in on their car one night and they were up there basically mourning their death, the death of their father. They just wanted to blow off steam, go for a ride. And they had this multiple hour experience at this location. These things were walking across the road, preventing them from leaving. Um, and when I was out there, I was in his studio and I asked him during the interview, I said, do you think that if you were not in your car that night, that you'd be here to tell the story? And he said, no, he doesn't. He thought that... Not that the car protected him, but it, it, it provided some kind of uh, barrier that just gave enough of a hesitation on their end. Well, we went up to the scene of where this happened, and it was the first day there. We go up, we explored the exact location. It was for me, it was um, it was awesome because I've, I've talked with Wes. He's my best friend. I've heard the story. We've talked about this lots of times. Uh, it was really cool for me to see exactly where this happened to him. When we were going up, we had a, we were driving up this mountain in an RV and we hit snow. We had to stop and just hike in the last like 200 feet. Where we stopped the RV, there was a small work van sitting inside the trees, like it backed into between some trees. And you saw like a little campsite set up. Nobody was around. And so we uh, we go over and we look at it and we're like, oh, somebody's camping here. So we just kind of shrug our shoulders and we go on our way. We're walking up to the location. We see some like a pair of shoes sitting there like it was newer shoes. And again, we're just like, whatever. It's weird. Like I'm from the Philadelphia area. So like trash is <laughs> trash is everywhere. I'm used to that. Uh, and so we go about our day. We do our thing. At the end of the week, that was the first day. At the end of the week, we decide our last night there. We're going to go back to that scene on the mountain and we're going to spend a night there. And so we go up there. And when we arrive on scene, we see that van still sitting there. 
And all the stuff in that campsite was still sitting there untouched. It was still in the same spot. And I, when I, what I'm talking about is this guy had a bong sitting there in the campsite. He had jars of weed sitting out at the campsite. Yeah. yeah. He, he had a, 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 like a, a, a bucket toilet that was unused. It was unused the day we were there. It was unused when we came back. Like I'm talking unused that not as in it was, it was empty. Yeah. It, it was, yeah. it wasn't used. And, um, that's when we reported that this might be a possible missing person. We called it in and um, we actually went through that whole situation, uh, called it to the police thinking this might be a missing 401 kind of case. We, the next week I go on Wes's show and we just start talking about the journey and we bring this up. It turns out some people, we knew who the guy's name was, by the way, because he actually had a parking pass in the window with his name on it. And so we said his name on the show. And it turns out some of his family was listening to the show and they didn't know where he was. And so they're like, they, they contacted us and they're like, you know, this, we've been looking for him. And so we basically gave them the information we had. They called the police, police went looking, they couldn't find him. Uh, I wound up getting the phone number of his ex fiance, talked to her for about 30 minutes. And she's like, I don't care what happened to him. She's like, I know you were doing a Bigfoot film. If it was Bigfoot that took him, so be it. I just need to know what happened to him. And so a lot of answers uh, that, that are questions that hadn't been answered. He's still a missing person to this day. We just looked into it about a month ago, not even a month ago. He's still missing. I text her about three weeks ago and I said, is there any new developments on your end? And she said that the police organized a search up there. They, they swept the entire area. They didn't find him, but they found four other dead bodies up there. Okay, dude, uh, anytime anyone questions the hand of God story where you're being led places, <laughs> you tell them that story. Jiba sent you, okay? What? <laughs> I know. I was just literally going to ask, you know, being the Halloween special, can you give me the most creepiest story? Um, if that isn't it, I don't know what is. It's not. <laughs> it's not. I don't even <laughs> think it's creepy. It's, 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 it's Dude, you you're you're basically like a modern day podcasting Moses, right? You're talking, <laughs> talking to God. God's all like, Tony's all right. We're just gonna we're gonna give. Tony, you want some content, Tony? I'll give you some content, <laughs> yes, mate. please, Lord, send me. Ah, but it's it's fascinating because what you just said about having your religious experience and you're going to be a podcast and all this kind of stuff, like people again skeptics they, they kind of go oh well i'm sure you did tony i'm sure yeah. you did but think about it like if we're talking about visions from two thousand years ago they're applicable to jobs and things that you know you have an a, 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 an ability to influence people back then it's the same now it's fascinating tony honestly i we could sit around a fire or have like 12 beers and go down some madness mate yeah. because it's mind-blowing exactly so if that wasn't the creepiest, what was the creepiest? You said there was more. Yeah. So there's there's lots. There's lots. I I <laughs> it, like I, all right. So I'm cursed with ADHD, which I think is the reason why I have a bad memory. And so there's people that will say things to me like, "Hey, remember when you had that had this happen?" Like, no. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, but for me, at least as far as my memory can hold, uh, the most recent thing that really creeped me out was leading up to the release of our first film uh so real quick the the first film i said was Ex expedition dogman 
the way that came about was episode five or 335 on the confessionals. I called it dog versus dog, man. I had a guy on who talked about when he was 15 years old in Kentucky, him and his grandfather went out one night to go coon hunting, raccoon hunting. They had their, their dogs and his grandfather stayed in the truck cause he couldn't keep up. So they had handheld radios and he goes into the national forest. He, and he's listening to his dogs and I guess the way they bark, he can tell what they're doing. So he knew they got on the trail of a raccoon. They wound up treeing a raccoon and the coyotes came in and his dogs wound up fighting these coyotes. Uh, his younger dog, he had two dogs, his younger dog ran off and his older dog was left to fend for himself. And he did He's much bigger than these coyotes. And then these coyotes, he said, came back in, but it sounded like they came in together and they started beating up on his dog. But then he heard his other dog come back in, start fighting and turn the tide of the fight. His dogs are fine. Coyotes run off. He comes up on the scene, his dog, his bigger dog, the older one goes back to treeing the raccoon. So he's just barking up the tree because there's a raccoon up there. He hears his other dog, uh, Bo, on the other side of this tree, sounded like he was chomping down on a coyote. And so he walks around the tree to greet his dog and basically say, good boy, you know. And when he comes around the tree, he realizes when his what he heard his dog coming back in to join the fight wasn't his dog at all. Uh, there was what he was looking at before him, a very large dog that was so big that it was holding a coyote by the rib cage in its mouth. It was enormous and it was on all four legs. When he comes around the tree, it locks eyes with him. It stands up on its hind legs and chases after him. And it, he tells the story way better than I do. Uh, a lot of things were happening in this moment, but long story short, his, his hunting dog that was still remaining there interfered and saved his life and when he's running out of the woods he hears his hunting dog just being torn to pieces and and just shredded to pieces and he's calling for him but he knows he's not going to come because he knows his dog's dead and um he gets back in the truck and tells his grandfather uh what happened and his grandfather said to him you have to understand if you're going to hunt these woods that there are really weird things that happen in the woods. And if you can't come to terms with it, you're not going to be a good hunter in these woods. His grandfather literally knew about this whole thing. Like his grandfather had experience. So they, to wrap this story up, they actually go out the next day to look for his dog. They don't find him because he said, he told his grandfather, he said, there's no point of going out. He's dead. And he said, if, if your dog saved you, like you said he did, then you owe it to him to go out and look for his body. And so that's what they did the next day. They didn't find him. And his grandfather leaving that morning laid his coat on the ground and said that we'll come back in the evening, look one more time. If he's out here and he's, and he's alive, he'll smell my coat and he'll come. And uh, they go out the next day, they're looking, they don't find him. And they're driving down this, this um, mountain. It, it's not a mountain, I'm sorry. It, it, it's a, a logging road in the forest. And they see a dog off the side of the road. and they thought it was the dog that ran away that night that left the other dog to fend for himself. And as they got closer, they found out that it was actually the dog that he thought was dead. He said that the dog was torn to pieces. Uh, the ear was hanging off its head, uh, but it smelled the coat and came. And they actually picked up the dog and his grandmother nursed the dog back to health. He said the dog lived to be an old dog. Wasn't never the same hunter again, but it was. it lived to be an old dog. So that that story took us to Kentucky to film this documentary. And we go through that whole week. 
we produce a film and leading up to the release of that film, that entire week, my entire life was talking about Dogman. Uh, that's all I talked about. That's all I cared about. I just wanted to make sure this was, I didn't, I never released a film before. I didn't have Joseph, my producer working with me yet. So I was just this, this dude just doing things. And, um, my wife and I, the night before the release, were in my studio having a meeting, talking about how we were going to do this. Uh, and I say it like this because I want people to understand there was a lot of attention given to Dogman that week. And the idea of what we were talking about earlier and the consciousness and, and, and collective thought. Um, we go upstairs in my house and the entire upstairs or the, the entire bottom downstairs floor is hardwood floor. When you got to the steps in that house and all upstairs, the carpet went all the way up the steps and upstairs. So the only hardwood floor I had was downstairs. Her and I are standing in the kitchen about 11 o'clock at night and she's having a snack or something, probably eating like some kind of fruit before we went to bed. My cat is the only pet I had and she was declawed and she was sitting right at my feet in the kitchen. So I knew where she was. Her and I, my wife and I are talking and all of a sudden, at the same time, in our house, we heard bipedal footsteps with nails clacking on the floor as it walked. Walked across the wooden floor. It lasted about two, three seconds. And I look at my wife. My eyes were like probably the size of saucers. And I just said to her, did you hear that? And, she, and she, her jaw is just dropped. And she's like, I didn't just hear it. I felt it. And I did too. Like we literally felt the vibration on the floor of something bipedal walking and the nails clacking on the floor. And so I think this is just my opinion through the intention that we were giving Dogman, we actually kind of summoned it. And that takes the idea of Dogman to a whole other level that people a lot of times aren't ready to even think about and, and conceive the idea of interdimensional Dogman. Um, but I base that off a lot of different things that I've been told and I've looked into, but I, the best thing I can tell people is there's a video on YouTube. I can't even tell you how to find it, but if you just search around, I'm sure you'll find it. It's like a 30 minute video of this guy who he was in Florida and he was outside his home and he saw a dog man run underneath the streetlight. He goes on his Facebook page and makes a Facebook post about it. And people start commenting. And so he goes on Facebook Live to show people exactly where he saw this. So now this is a Facebook Live video. It's happening live, unedited. And about the first two to three minutes of this video, he's pointing at the streetlight where this happened. And again, you see an upright, and I'm talking this is a very large dog. It had to be at least 10 feet tall. Run underneath. I think Ron's looking for it now. On I can see him. Yeah, looking. Uh, if you, uh, I wish I could tell you. It, it. I'm not looking for the video, but what I'm doing is looking for images that are. You might, from... you might, you might see it. Yeah. Um, Did you say it was under a streetlight, like in an urban? Yeah, setting? yeah. It was like an urban setting, but um, he so he he captures that on film, and then he spends the next like 30 minutes talking about it with the people that saw it with him live on Facebook. And there's the whole chat thread of it. And when you see it run underneath the streetlight, it's translucent. There's parts of it that's physical and there's parts of it you could see through. And 
that's where we start talking about this idea of metaphysical dogman, like beyond physical, this interdimensional aspect. And was how is that? In, was this in Brazil? No, it was in Florida. It was in Florida. I, I know yeah. we had a post about it on our Facebook page at one time, or I mean, on my website. No, no, you, you, you keep going. I'll, I'll do the legwork. You just, uh, okay. it, it, <laughs> you just, you just so keep going. You, oh, well, you heard this claw mark at home with your wife, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're literally taking your work home with you. How soon after that did you move house? Uh, <laughs> within a year, with, within a year, <laughs> I, and we, we, we moved for, um, for the future of our family safety and not for the paranormal, but Philadelphia is crazy. Uh, and so we wanted to get somewhere where it was more safe to live and raise a family. Uh, but yeah, it was probably about a year or so I'd say after we, we did move, uh, about 650 miles away, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um it, it was you swear uh it was nothing to do with that experience which experience with, with the claws and listen like the noises yeah i mean i i i don't know i well no i think it was i think we we were talking about dog man so much yeah. that we actually you know if you want to call it conjuring i didn't yeah, mean well, to this this is the thing when we, I, we were talking earlier about collective thought tony right and yeah. we're talking about how people believe in things once they have a personal experience. The more you research something, the more you believe in your own research, okay? And your belief in that and your focus and intent on people seeing your point or getting the point in your documentary is so, so, so powerful with your intentions from a magical world, if you see what I mean. And yeah. absolutely, in that moment, that was the, probably the pinnacle moment of, of your research when your belief was at its highest that you summoned, whatever you want to say, conjured that moment. Because when you talk about the hand of God, Tony, it's all very nice talking about the being guided by a white light, by the, by, the, by the goodness in the world. But that has to then give the same credit to the evils in the world. And just your belief in a higher light power doesn't mean that the dark things aren't dwelling. So I think you're completely right that you did manifest and conjure, even just for a split second, that doorway opening between those dimensions. It's fascinating. Yeah. No, it, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. I, I mean, I, I'll just let you guys know, I got probably about 20 more minutes before I have to pick up my son from school. But no um, problem. I, I, um, I, I will tell you, like, the 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 interdimensional aspect of things is a, a a whole other thing that I could hit on another time with you guys because I in fact if 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 I ever talk with you guys again by the time I talk to you I will have released uh, the most wild story I've ever had recorded I recorded this story two about two years ago I've never released it yet because it's that wild. And I, I, I've had to just do the legwork on this. Like, it's very rare that you interview somebody that has just a bonker story, you believe them, and there's threads to pull at to see if they're actually being honest with you. And that's what this guy gave me. He, yeah. he, he gave me this wild story. And I've spent the last two years pulling at these threads. And every time, man, like, it's like it just gets deeper and deeper. And since he gave me this story, I've been able to confirm it with people who knew of the people that he was talking about that didn't know him. Long story. But um, 
other people have come across my path and have reached out and basically said the same thing to me through their own eyes and their own experiences. The reality is I have had a lot of people come to me and say that they have been uh, approached by entities to work for them. And when they accept this invitation, they go in through other realms and they do work in other realms. And when they come back here, uh, they're, they, it's like they're living two different lives and they can get to these other realms through lucid dreaming. And that's how it usually starts. Uh, but then it gets to the point where they can get to this other realm on demand. And when they do it on demand, it's not like they just disappear. There's a, there's a, a being in the other realm that comes and replaces their body here. And they literally physically do things that shouldn't be possible. And are you uh, talking about astral project a projection? Astral projection? That's is just, that right? That's yeah, part of it. For layman's just the beginning. That's yeah. just, like that's just like the, the beginning. And and I um it, it, it this story ties in so much stuff that I've tapped into with my show that it, I, I often describe it as it feels like this story is the centerpiece puzzle to all the other pieces I've been collecting for all these years. And I don't know how it all fits together. I just know I have, I have, I finally have that piece that everything fits into. And now I'm just kind of mixing pieces together, trying to figure it out. Uh, but like it, it, it ties into just almost everything. And there, there's, there's literature about this, this whole thing that um, I wish I could so there, there's a book that I've been able that I've been able to confirm a lot of the stuff that I've been told through a book that was written about all this stuff. The book isn't available anymore, and there's only like ten copies available on Earth, and I have one of those copies. And what's crazy is that this book, um, it, the copyright is 2012, and my show didn't exist till 2017. And so when this person tells me this wild story and pieces of this wild story have already been on my show in the past. And I just didn't have that piece of the puzzle to, to connect the dots. And so he's telling me things that I've heard before on my show from several different episodes. The first instinct that I had was this guy has listened to my show. He made up a story, a really good story, but he made it up. And he is telling me the story to be an awesome story on my show. But then when he tells me about this book and I get the book in my hands because he sent it to me and I'm seeing these stories in a book that have been published on my show, but my show existed five years after this, the book was published. I'm like, what the heck is going on here? And yeah. um, some of the stories are identical. Like the stories, some of the stories that have been on my show are identical to what happens in this book. And I'm just like, I, I it's just, I'm telling you guys, it's crazy. I know I'm beating around the bush, but um it's a very long story well we'll have to get you back for a part two definitely sure. yeah definitely yeah definitely well listen just oh, I, know, I know we're pushed for time victoria just one on. question sorry just one question um you know shape-shifting obviously you're exploring all of that in america um have you thought about going to other countries like haiti the caribbean africa because i think you do really well to compare data from each sort of yeah. country and see if it comes back to the same UK. wavelength. Yes. 100%. I want to go to the UK. Um, right now. Welcome anytime. We'll put I'm you not, up. I, I, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't, I'm not fond of flying. And these days, the way the world is, I'm not fond of traveling outside of Tennessee, to be honest with you. Uh, <laughs> but uh, 
<laughs> like, like I know things are different culturally all over the world, uh, but here in Tennessee, it is one of the most free states there is. I, yeah. I can, like the day I moved to Tennessee, I legally was allowed to just carry a gun anywhere I went. And I love that. I, I, can, I can buy any guns I want whenever I want them. I can shoot them on a property any time of day. It doesn't matter. And I'm just like, I don't really need to leave Tennessee anytime soon. <laughs> so, uh, but I, I would love to um, come to the UK because of the history there. And yeah. the, the, there is so much paranormal stuff happening uh, in the UK that yeah. because of how old it is. Yeah. Um, you guys, are you all in the UK? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. You guys have this Black Panther, Black Cat phenomenon over there yes, that apparently yeah. is true now. Have you heard about right. this? Yeah, the, there's there's in uh, England and in Scotland there's panthers that are roaming about. There's plenty of footage of it. Uh, it's it's it, this has been going on since the sixties. Like yeah, this, yeah. This has been getting reported, but now yeah, I mean there's it, with so many more camera phones. There is big big ass black cats prowling about uh, some of our our foresty areas, and uh, long live the big the big cats. We've uh, literally just in Scotland. This is totally boring, but we just had two litters of the of, of genuine wild cats that have been caught on trail cams in a nature. Really? So yeah, with a little like lynxy, pointy ears and things like that. So I'm all for that, man. The Scottish tigers are are back. You know, I mean, they're they're, they're not like American mountain lions. You could punt them. Do you know? What I mean, if one ran at you, one good punt, they're off. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. still, it's it's a beautiful thing when something comes back like that. You know? Yeah, it's, um, it's wild. I we um my friend here in Tennessee, he does a lot of the stuff that I do. Um, and he set up a bunch of game trail cams within an hour radius of where we live. And he just went and pulled some of his cameras after being out there for three months. He has several footage, video footages of a giant black cat on camera. He sent oh, me wow. the one, the one camera uh, footage, the first one he got. He sent right to me, and you see this black cat walking through the grass. You really can't gauge as to how big it is until he has more footage of wild boar walking through there, and he's like, "This cat's bigger than the freaking boar." He said, wow. "This thing is huge." Yeah. And, um, and then we have police officers in this area. This one police officer in the area actually had a black cat walk across the road in front of him. He has it on his camera from yeah. his uh, vehicle. And he said the tail was so long that when it ducked to go underneath the guardrail of the road, to kind of give you the gauge of how tall this thing was, um, its tail wrapped around the guardrail. And our government is saying that these things, that there are no black cats. There's no mountain lion in this area, they tell us, yeah. let alone the black cat. And so... Um, I, I brought up the black cat, though, because for the longest time, we, we were told that the black cat thing in the UK is just this this fake thing. Uh, right. If that's if that's real, then what else could be real? Because I, I talked to this one lady who's a researcher out there and she's been for since the 80s, been collecting people's stories of uh, Bigfoot in the UK. Yeah, that sounds, sounds wild, but I'm all, I'm all for it. I I know those stories. Uh, the UK he, big food things. Is he uh, over in Scotland near you, Ron? Uh, who? The Bigfoot. It, there, there's a lot of sightings of uh, up in the north of Scotland. We're talking the old parts of Scotland. Uh, there's a lot of weird sightings up there. But I just want to point out as well, when it comes to cryptids, our government spent money, taxpayers' money, on making Nessie a protected species. You know, there's laws that have been passed for the Loch Ness Monster. Our national animal in Scotland is the unicorn. 
Okay. Are you serious? I am. I am a hundred percent serious. The national animal of Scotland is the unicorn, and you're talking about wanting to come to a place where there's paranormal culture. Yes. We've got a, a hundred foot lizard that lives in a big pond up north, and our actual national an- animal is a is a unicorn. Google it, people. Facts. We should talk about Irish mythology next time because that's Definitely. really interesting. I, I honestly, I honestly think that Tony, there is about. 30 hours of podcast material that is yet to happen, <laughs> okay, uh, between between the four of us because it is fascinating, when we, especially when we deal with somebody like yourself who has been out there, they've seen it on the front line, whether it's any form of journalism, when you're in the thick of it and you're there and you're coming back with the stories and you've got the footage and the documentaries out and you've lived it, it's only made me a huge fan after seeing this documentary. I can't wait to see what you've got coming next. I'm really looking forward to your next documentary where people think you're going to bring home the body of a Bigfoot and I'm going to see the comments being like, you didn't even find a Bigfoot. And it's like, listen, take a child, take your own child to a soft play area Okay, and just let them run around for 30 minutes when your eyes are closed. See how long it takes you to find your own child in a confined space. And we're talking about a, a a possible existence of a species that is widespread across vast, vast, vast lands. Okay, there is a reason why some things stay a mystery for so long. Yeah. Big cats were once a mystery; they're not now. What the next veil to be lifted? Who knows? But never ever write off mystery and wonder because you don't have the facts. The facts are out there waiting to be discovered and time is the greatest of tellers. And Tony, thank you for being here and thank you for doing this because I've had my mind blown. I could sit here and rant on again for another couple hours with you. It's it's truly a a, a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, definitely. So I I just want to let you guys know what's coming here Uh, next week. I'm going, I'm, I'm going on uh, another dogman hunt into an area where uh, people believe a whole family was massacred by this creature uh, and decades wow. ago. And since then, uh, there's been researchers that have tallied that they believe up to at least 20 uh, murder sites that happened by the hands of a dogman. We're going to the ground zero of a place where a sheriff had a face-to-face encounter on a hunting trip with these creatures uh, back in 1993, he's going to take us to the campsite where this happened. And um, while we're out there, we're bringing a guy out who has uh, created a machine that he believes, given the right environment, might open up a portal. And we're oh. gonna we're gonna be out there on Halloween night. Hell yeah! In, in this forest, oh. trying Hell. to open up a portal oh, yes. for Dogman to come through yes. in a cemetery. <laughs> Just a and bunch so- of nerds in the woods, <laughs> right? With something that some mad listen, they they they, they thought the Apple computer was mad science until it was plugged in. Okay. <laughs> this this be if we don't ever hear from Tony again, I'm you pretty know, He called he calls it a, a portal cannon. And uh here we go. He he You he built- chain those cameras to the trees, Tony. If you're <laughs> into a portal you need to leave the footage behind okay text your wife let you find a friend on your phone whatever we need to find the footage tony i know okay? i know okay well, listen there are certain people who are not allowed to get in the way of the portal i am one of them okay so, uh, so, I, 
just saying, record straight to the cloud, Tony. That's all I'm <laughs> I got you. I got you. But uh, yeah, so I'm really excited about that trip. And, uh, you know, the company is Merkle Media and we've done yeah. documentaries. We have several coming out. Uh, and we, we also did just shoot our first movie this past summer called The Sasquologist, where uh, Joseph is my producer. He has 30 years experience in Hollywood. He's been on Broadway. He knows the industry. And he wrote the screenplay for this and wow. acted the lead role. Uh, Joseph's been in Ace Ventura. He's been in some pretty big films. And uh, basically, the the story is that it's a uh, everybody knows the Patterson Gimlin foot footage, the first Bigfoot film back in 1967. Yep. Um, the story that we wrote is basically that that the offspring of that creature migrated to the Colorado Rockies, and Joseph plays a, a biologist who is trying to find the offspring. And he comes, he's doing it all scientifically, and he comes across this kid who is the exact opposite of him. He probably wrote it thinking of me and he's because yeah. the kid's like bigfoot's an interdimensional being that comes through portals i'm like that's me and so uh it's a story of these two very opposite people coming together to look for this creature and how it's very story driven about their, yeah. their past and their past hurts and how they got to where they're at but it's also a very funny movie um and you know it, it just has a lot of different elements and we're excited about dropping that next year as well so that's it's a lot of stuff that I got going on. It sounds, it sounds awesome. I just want to say I'm a big believer in the interdimensional Bigfoot. The only other theory that makes sense to me is they did invent time travel in the future. And the only way you can come back in time is through the fun theater and the fun part called Bigfoot, where you get to put on an outfit and scare the crap out of I people that are from the past. That and interdimensional being are the only things that make sense to me with Bigfoot. Yes. Okay. I'm just saying. So I, I cannot wait to talk to you again, Tony. Uh, thank Me you for neither. joining us. All your links will be down below. And uh, make sure you guys uh, do give uh, Tony a follow and you go and check out all of his work. because Please. Thank is, you, Tony. Not... I watch his documentary as well. It's brilliant. Yes, yes. I'm just going to, I'm, I'm not, I'm not just trying to idle time because I've forgotten the name of the guest documentary. Shape of Shadows. Yes. Nailed Shape of Shadows. <laughs> yeah. Nailed it. The link, the link will be Shape down below. Listen, it's better to delay and get it right than say it wrong exactly. and then look at it. Right, okay, I'm just saying. <laughs> All right. So, I just could read happy that. Halloween, everyone. Happy yes. Halloween. Yes. I'll be, I'll be uh, in Hall uh, Halloween night when you're listening to this. I'm in the forest hunting a dogman creature. Oh, for an entire awesome. week we'll be out there for, i hope we see you again yes yeah, see me love again. to see you again if not you are the footage one of the two okay yes one of the two. tony I'm merkel's a... last interview on the sean Atwood yeah <laughs> hopefully it was a good one yeah thank you, brilliant. Thanks thank for you watching. so much it was brilliant thank you absolutely